the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Judges. What he's pointing out is the fact that though he has been faithful to them all along the way, they have been unfaithful to him. And I love this way about God because, you know, it isn't that God pounces on us for our unfaithfulness. What he starts with is a reminder of his faithfulness. Because he wants us to understand, listen, this is the great lengths I've gone to for you. This is how much I love you. This is how I've provided for you. This is how I've cared for you. Because then the question on the flip side is, if I've done all this for you because of my love and my grace and mercy towards you, why are you disobedient towards me? Have you ever been nervous to go to God with your sin? Where do you think that comes from? Whenever God responds to the children of Israel, He starts by reminding them of His faithfulness. God's faithfulness is greater than any sin that we could bring to Him. In today's message, Pastor Gary will be sharing about the faithfulness of God in our lives despite our sin. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.13 that if we are faithless, He remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Judges, chapter 2, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Judges is named after the form of leadership that is over Israel between the time of Joshua's death and the beginning of Israel's monarchy when Israel will be ruled by kings, which, by the way, was never God's uh, desire or design. He wanted his people to be ruled in a theocracy with God always the one in charge. But they wanted to adapt to the culture around them, and thus they wanted to adopt the form of government around them. And so they will eventually be ruled by a series of kings during a time of a monarchy. But between Joshua's death and the monarchy is this oligarchy period of time where judges ruled, judges that God would raise up on his behalf to help rule the people at this particular time. The book of Judges covers about 400 years. It is believed that Samuel wrote Judges, but we don't know that factually. That's just what we speculate based on some of the context of what is written here. Also important to note is that judges in Hebrew is called shoftim, which is a, the plural of shofet, which means judge or ruler. That's, that's how the book gets its name. And judges, again, don't think of them as those who have a gavel and, and a black robe. These are military heroes or deliverers whom God raised up to lead Israel. And there were 12 of them in the book of Judges who are mentioned by name. And I've listed the 12 there for you, the six who are major judges who get the most 
attention are in capital letters, and those who are considered minor judges are in lowercase. And so you have Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar. We, we may, depending on the time, get through those three. They're mentioned in chapter 3, if we happen to get through chapter 2 and 3. Then you have Deborah, Gideon, Tola, Jair, Jephthah, Ibzan, Elon, Abdon, and Samson. Now, my wife very discerningly pointed out to me after the teaching last, every pastor needs a wife to point out things that you may not say completely, accurately, or clearly. And so she said to me, hey, you left out Samuel. And she would be correct, except for the fact that what I tried to say, if I didn't say it, I need to clarify. These 12 that I've listed are the ones mentioned in the book of Judges. Samuel's not mentioned in the book of Judges. We don't see him until 1 Samuel. But that means that there are indeed more than these 12. In fact, some Bible scholars will give Barak a co-judge rulership with Deborah, and many Bible scholars do not. So some lists you're going to read say there's 13 mentioned in Judges because Barak was a co-judge with Deborah. When we get to the story of Deborah and Barak, it is my conviction or persuasion that Barak is uh, very passive and does not deserve to be listed. So I, I lean with the other Bible scholars who don't have him listed there at all. So I see 12. But outside of the book of Judges, when you get into 1 Samuel, you actually find a few more judges. In fact, before you even get to Samuel, you get to Eli. Now, Eli is listed as a priest, but then it's interesting, he's listed completely as a priest until he dies. And then in 1 Samuel 4, verse 18, it says that Eli judged Israel for 40 years. So it tells us that not only was he a priest, but he was also a judge. And then, yes, Samuel does mention the book that bears his name, that Samuel himself was also a judge. Samuel was probably better known as a prophet. He would be the one to anoint Saul and to anoint David. But he also seemed to have this co-position of being prophet and judge. And it also tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 7 that Samuel's sons were judges. So all told, when you take the 12 that are mentioned in the book of Judges, plus a couple more in the book of 1 Samuel, there's at least 16 judges during the 400 years of the period of the judges. So with with that said, let's take a look here now in chapter 2, which is where we left off. And chapter 2, verse 1 begins this. Then the angel of the Lord, underline that, the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said... I, now I want you to notice first person here, first person, the pronoun I, because it's going to help us understand who exactly is the angel of the Lord. Now that term, the angel of the Lord, is used in different places in the Old Testament. And not every time, but many of the times that that phrase appears, especially when the direct article, the, is in front of angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord. It is often what we refer to in theological terms as a theophany, which means an appearance of God, or a Christophany, which means an appearance of Christ. And this is one of these times, because as you'll notice with me, when we read through here what the angel of the Lord says, the angel of the Lord speaks in the first person, and it's clearly the Lord who does these things 
that he is recounting. So take a look. I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side and their God shall be a snare to you. So just because we know biblical history and we know the things that this individual is recalling, these are the things that God did and thus the angel of the Lord has to be God. And thus it is sometimes called here an appearance of a theophany, an appearance of theos, God, or a Christophany, an appearance of Christ. And this is important to understand. There are different times in the Old Testament when God took on human appearance and, and appeared to people. You have to remember that, you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God revealed in three persons. So when Jesus steps into our world in the New Testament, that's not the first time Jesus ever existed because Jesus is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God presenting in with three personalities. So before God took on flesh in the New Testament, therefore being born of a virgin where the seed of God impregnated Mary and God took on flesh and dwelt among us. Prior to that, because God has always existed and Jesus being co-eternal and coexisting with God the Father as one God, there are different times in the Old Testament where God appears. Well, how, how does God appear in human form prior to the incarnation through the birth of, of Mary? That is what we're reading here. There are different times when God appears in the Old Testament. There are a few other occasions. Genesis 18 is an occasion where the Lord appeared to Abraham before he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. In Genesis 32, God wrestled with Jacob, and Jacob then walked away with a limp after he had wrestled with God. In Joshua chapter 5, the captain of the host of Israel, or some translations say the commander of the army of Israel, that was the Lord who appeared there to Joshua. So there are different times when the Lord appears. Now, so don't get this mixed idea that the angel of the Lord means that God is an angel. God's not an angel. This is just language that is used to describe the pre-incarnate appearance of God in the Old Testament. So this is the Lord who is appearing here and saying these things. And verse 4, and so it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voices and wept. Now notice that. You know, they, they weep, but it says in verse five, then they called the name of that place Bokim and they sacrificed there to the Lord. And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. So it seems like a very tender scene here, right? The Lord appears. The Lord reiterates my faithfulness this is what he's telling the people there of Israel. I want you to remember my faithfulness to you. And what he's pointing out is the fact that though he has been faithful to them all along the way, they have been unfaithful to him. And I love this way about God because, you know, it isn't that God pounces on us for our unfaithfulness. What he starts with is a reminder of his faithfulness. Because he wants us to understand, listen, this is the great lengths I've gone to for you. This is how much I love you. This is how I provided for you. This is how I've cared for you. Because then the question on the flip side is, if I've done all this for you because of my love and my grace and mercy towards you, why are you disobedient towards me? And this is where he's going here. 
So keep looking, verse 7. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. Now this is, this is retrospective here. This is going backwards because Joshua dies at the end of the book of Joshua. But this is a commentary on, on what, what happened with them. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. That's how the book of Joshua ends. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at timnath in the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gash. When all that generation, notice this, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Now we're going to come back to this verse, so I don't want to belabor the point too much right now. We'll summarize it at the end of our study. But basically take note of this because it's a very sad commentary on the decline spiritually of the nation of Israel. You have a generation that grew up under Joshua's leadership. Eleazar is the priest. Joshua is God's appointed man to lead the people into the promised land. And as long as Joshua was there and Eleazar was in place, the people had this constant reminder in front of them about the standard of God and the commands of God. And so as long as Joshua was alive, the people were obedient to the Lord. But once Joshua died, it tells us an entire generation grew up not knowing Joshua, not having the commandments of God reinforced. And this starts the slow decline into their spiritual apathy and indifference because they had lost sight of God because their leaders had died and it was not being instilled into the next generation. And I'll come back to that point at the end. But here's what happens now. Verse 11, then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. Do you see this? This is this cultural persuasion. They started following the gods of the people around them and they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. All right, pause there for a moment. So we're introduced to, in verse 11 again, they did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, plural. And verse 13, they forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreths, plural. So who were the Baals and the Ashtoreths? The Baals and the Ashtoreths were the false gods of the Canaanites. Remember now, the Israelites have come into the land that has been occupied previously by the Canaanites. The Canaanites were a ruthless pagan people. They, they worshipped different gods. And Baal just meant Lord. And they had lords of different things. That's why Baals is mentioned there in the plural in verse 11. These are actual Baal gods mentioned in the Bible. They had Baal Gad, which is Lord of Good Fortune in Joshua eleven seventeen. They had Baal Hamon, which is Lord of the Multitude in Song of Solomon eight eleven. They had Baal Hazor, meaning Lord of the Village. In 2 Samuel 13, 23, they had Baal Mion, Lord of the Dwelling, in Numbers 32, 38. They had Baal Peor, Lord of the Opening, in Deuteronomy 4, 3. And they had Baal Zebub, Lord of the Flies, in 2 Kings 1, 2, and 3. Remember, Jesus was accused of being possessed by Baal Zebub. They brought that God up in the New Testament in Mark 3, 22 to 27, when the 
religious leaders accused Jesus of having power by Beelzebub. And that's when Jesus said, well, that would be counterproductive, wouldn't it? Like if Satan were driving out Satan, you know, no kingdom can stand against itself. So, so if you think that I'm driving out demons by the power of Beelzebub, that, that wouldn't make sense, would it? But they, they invoked that God of the ancient God of the Old Testament, of the Canaanites, and they accused Jesus of operating under that power, Beelzebub. By the way, there's some other little known Baal gods. You have Baal of hay, that's Lord of the Farmers. Balaam out of jail, that's Lord of the ex-cons. Um, then you have Christian Baal, which, by the way, that's an oxymoron. I don't know how he can be called Christian Baal. But anyway, I digress. Back to our study. So they're worshiping these Baals and Ashtoreths. The Baals were the male and Ashtoreths were the female false gods of the Canaanites. And they were the gods and the goddesses of fertility and agriculture. And because they were the god and goddesses of fertility and agriculture, the worship of these gods involved sexual immorality, ritual prostitution, self-mutilation, and human sacrifice. So when you know that, then you can understand just how far the Israelites had gone away from God. They start to worship the gods of the nations around them, which means they are engaging in these same practices, sexual immorality, ritual prostitution, self-mutilation, human sacrifice. We know even under the, under the reign of King Solomon that Israel was sacrificing their children. It was the height of child sacrifice under the days of King Solomon. They name a whole valley after the children, the valley of the children, the valley of Ben-Hinnom. You go there to Israel today and you cross over the Valley of Ben-Hinnom and there is a plaque there to the Valley of the Children because they don't want to ever forget that they sacrificed children in that valley. They brutally murdered their own children to worship these false gods. Now, listen, when you, when you look at the Bible and you read the Bible, and for people who say, you know, it's difficult for me to read it because it's an antiquated book, it doesn't have much relevance today, I think to myself, all you need to do is take the Bible and then you need to take like your, your phone and, and look up a news app and look at the two things and look how similar they are. Because tragically, the truth is we're still sacrificing our children today. The sin of abortion. And we're still adapting the gods of the nations around us. Because we have forsaken the true and living God for the worship of our, the cultural gods. Not just the United States of America, but places around the world. They are more intent in worshiping whatever is the most cultural, significant thing of the day than they are worshiping the God of the universe, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this is very similar to our own day. We've adopted cultural gods. We're killing our children. So this isn't to surprise us. Well, verse 14 And the angel of the Lord was hot against Israel. So he delivered them into the hands of plunderers who despoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around. Now notice this. So that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity. As the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. 
Nevertheless, and this is an important word, nevertheless, because, you know, at this point, God has already said to them, do you remember how faithful I was? I was faithful, I was faithful, I was faithful, I provided for you, I cared for you. But despite that, you forsook me, you started worshiping other gods. So to get your attention, I'm going to give you over to the enemies of these nations. You want to worship their gods? Fine, I'm going to send these these nations against you. They're going to be the rod of my discipline to get your attention. And he could have just decided, I'm going to smote all of you. But instead, nevertheless... That's verse 16, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. This is all God's mercy. But it brings us to this cycle that I mentioned, start at the top. Israel serves the Lord, but then Israel falls into sin and idolatry because they start doing what the nations around them are doing. And so Israel is oppressed by enemies. Then Israel cries out to the Lord, and then God raises up a judge, and then Israel is delivered. And then they serve the Lord for a time while, while a judge is giving, you know, some oversight. But then a judge dies and then the people give in to their old ways again. And the cycle continues. Throughout the whole book of Judges, this is the cycle. And we're seeing it right here. Because Israel was serving the Lord in the days of Joshua, then that generation dies, and then they start to engage in the idolatry of the nations around them, so God's anger burns, he turns them over to their enemies, and then he has mercy and raises up a judges. Verse 17, yet they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked and obeying the commandment of the Lord, they did not do so. And when the Lord raised up the judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead, that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers by following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not cease from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. And then the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he said, because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers and has not heeded my voice, I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died, so that through them I may test, circle that, I may test Israel, whether they will keep the ways of the Lord to walk in them as their fathers kept them or not. Therefore, the Lord left those nations without driving them out immediately, nor did he deliver them into the hand of Joshua. So we learn something there. What we learn is that even though the Israelites were disobedient and not driving completely those nations out of the land, and thus the result of their presence we see here because the Israelites are persuaded to join in their practices. Nevertheless, God used the remnant of those foreign nations that they allowed to remain as a way to test the Israelites. Now, the Hebrew word there for test is nasah, and it appears three times, once here in chapter two, and then we're gonna see it two more times in the first couple of verses of chapter three. And it means to test or to prove. In other words, this was a way for God to expose what was in their hearts. This is how he tested them. 
He allowed these nations there so that then they would begin to see what was in their own heart. And by using them, he tested his own people in this way. So go to chapter 3. Now these are the nations which the Lord left that he might test. Here it is again. That he might test Israel by them. That is, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. This was only so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war, at least those who had not formerly known it. Namely, five lords of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hivites who dwelt in Mount Lebanon, from Mount Baal Hermon to the entrance of Hamath. And they were left that he might test. There it is the third time. Thank you for joining us today here on Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the book of Judges. It's a great reminder to the kid inside us, to the human flesh that is a bent to fulfill its own desires. Whatever we do, someone always sees it. Nothing goes unnoticed, especially those things we wished had been overlooked. Isn't that the role of a parent, though, to discipline the behavior of sin? Jesus is the same way with the Israelite nation and us. He doesn't allow sin to go without consequence. But He's also lovingly fair and desires each one of us to return to Him. Maybe you felt like that kid who's gotten off track with God. We can't be perfect, but we can pray that we'll have the strength to do what's right and follow in God's footsteps. Are you struggling with that? Would you like someone to pray with you? If so, please email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Cornerstone Connection is a ministry located in Leesburg, Virginia, committed to sharing the love of Christ with you through sound biblical teachings that meet you where you're at. To find out more about us, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. That website again is cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for listening to this edition of Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling Listen, truth opens up your eyes General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.